You're listening to Festival Grasp, a podcast diving into the business and culture of the music festival world with your hosts, Mario and Shanae. All right. Welcome, everybody, to the newscast. In this week's edition, Coachella's Radius Clause lawsuit moves forward after overturned legal decision. European club promoters create a virtual nightclub to stimulate Berlin's party scene. And they turned away 40,000 people on its first night. Burning Man Internet Radio, on air in the multiverse, a call for participation, and the virtual Burning Man 2020 Spotify playlist. New program aims to create opportunities for deaf and disabled people in the music industry. We need to talk about plague raves. Oh my goodness. Illegal raves attract 10,000 plus people in France, illicit Brooklyn raves, raves everywhere. It is a gong show. But first, Wuhan trolls the rest of the world with a massive EDM party. And here's what we have to say about it. Wuhan, the city of coronavirus patient zero, has not only gone back to normal daily behaviors, but held a giant EDM pool party for thousands of attendees. China defends Wuhan in the media. They had a state-imposed lockdown for 76 days where residents couldn't leave their homes, not even for groceries. And they haven't seen a single case since mid-May. In May, when six cases were reported, the city ruled out 6.5 million tests in only nine days. Now, I'm sure this feels like a huge slap in the face for the United States. But without strict laws surrounding social distancing and efforts to reduce the spread... The U.S. has more coronavirus cases worldwide and continues to have an upward trajectory, meaning it'll be a long time before we see large-scale music festivals making a comeback. Yeah. They, They definitely are rubbing it in the face of the world stage here, but... If their scientists and their doctors deemed that was ready to reopen and that they could have these massive gatherings without fear of an outbreak, then they deserve it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that they did their due diligence right at the beginning. They've shown that for months they haven't had new cases, so they're not concerned in the moment about a second wave. I don't see why they can't go back to normal instead of pushing when they weren't ready and then creating a second wave. I think what happened was the photos caused a lot of envy around the world. And there were some, you know, tweets here that got captured in this one particular in this one article by Matt Cohan here in Bro Bible, and some of them were, you know, I, I guess uh, just reactions, but I think it caused a bit more anger towards uh, Wuhan in general from those who are potentially misinformed or are skeptical that this was not their fault. It gave them reason to think that the residents of China in general, the Chinese virus just gave more gas to the fire of feeling like this was all a bit of a joke or a prank that they've played on the rest of the world. Yeah, absolutely. I think that you're right. People were envious. And also it just without all the information, people are going to make an immediate reaction based on judgment instead of facts. Next up, Coachella lawsuit over restrictive radius booking clause moving ahead. This reported in the Mixed Down article written by Brian Abogiano. So a judge ruled that sold out productions who had filed a lawsuit in 2018 against AGE-owned Golden Voice Coachella uh, can proceed. It uh, had been kicked out of the initial filing in local court and then sold out productions, took it to the Ninth Circuit. And the judge there said that the lawsuit could, in fact, 
go forward. And really at the cornerstone of all of this is this radius clause thing. I had to look it up because I wasn't very familiar with it. It's a form of non-compete used in the music industry in which a tour promoter stipulates that a performer for a certain length of time cannot perform following an appearance at a concert or festival within you know a certain radius of the city where they're performing. Now, basically it gives us promoter the ability to have territorial exclusivity over the act, ensuring that the performer does not book concerts uh, with other competing promoters or venues nearby and, and so on and so forth, which would then undermine the ticket sale for the main event. And Coachella argued that, well, I mean, they instituted this, I believe, back in 2014. And according to the court documents, the acts that were not allowed to perform, the, the time restriction was between December 15th and May 1st. And, and of course, Coachella takes place between the two weekends in late April in Indio, California. And the sold out festival is more than a thousand miles away in Portland, Oregon. And at the time, Golden Voice released a statement defending their practices. They said, radius clauses are common in the concert business where promoters take a great risk and spend huge sums of money to produce marquee festivals, tours, and other shows. With over 1,000 fans attending each of its two weekends, Coachella is a premier festival destination, attracting visitors from across the region and around the world. The producers of Coachella will vigorously defend against this lawsuit, which calls into question a long-standing industry practice that is crucial to our ability to continue offering fans the unrivaled experience which Coachella has been known for. Now, Sinead, the critics in favor of this clause agree with the intent of organizers to protect their investments. But on the other hand, they also point out, well, I guess the opponents point out that there's a huge possibility for mismanagement, this clause, because of the profit-oriented mentality that can occur when it comes to these large-scale events and their protectionism. Now, a lawyer representing Sold Out said in a statement, we expect that after complete discovery, a jury will find that Coachella's radius clause is unreasonable and that AEG's use and abuse of that clause to hurt local music festivals was unlawful. And what they're saying is not necessarily that the radius clauses in general should not be upheld or that they're in jeopardy of not being used moving forward. It's simply that they said, listen, we're a thousand miles away in Portland, Oregon, and you are you know, way down south in Southern California, India, where Coachella takes place. And that it's a bit unfair for you to set your radius this far. You're really hurting us and we're, we're a small festival. How do you feel about all of this? Yeah, I think that it's always going to be a case-by-case basis for radius clause because some are reasonable and some are not. And I think that this one with Coachella is very unreasonable. I don't think having, you know, one artist a thousand miles away is going to f- affect Coachella's profit margins and it's gonna like I don't think somebody's gonna say oh well I just wanted to see this one DJ so instead of going to Coachella I'm gonna go a thousand miles away to this small festival I've never heard of if people are going to Coachella 9.5 times out of 10 they're going for the brand of Coachella so I, I think it's just a power play I think it's just them trying to prove that they have control over this industry and I don't think it's really appropriate or fair I hope that a jury does also see that because with a large corporation, it's not breaking their bank. It's not affecting them. 
Agreed. Listen, we are going to dive into the festival business world, and this would be one of the topics that, that we get into. There is a quote here from a talent uh, agent, Tom Windish, who wrote that he feels that there's a mentality in the live events industry where if you don't have 75,000 people at your event, it's a failure. And this, like you mentioned, could be the attitude of big festivals where they start to push their weight around and they know that if they can prevent the talent at their festival, I mean, they're, 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 they're paying for this talent, obviously, right? So you have someone like Jay-Z or Beyonce comes to Coachella, they're getting top dollar. Now, if they tell Jay-Z and Beyonce, sorry, but you can't play in and around this festival for six months and nowhere within a thousand mile radius, you know, they're probably going to say, well, we're getting a King's Ransom here to play at Coachella. So we'll just go play in Asia where we'll make just as much. And that's that might be fine. But I'm wondering about up and coming talents, which are also affected by these radius clauses. And and if they're going to be at Coachella playing in and around California, leading up to the event at small venues where they can really gain a, a connection with their fan base, this is what's crushing them. I don't think Coachella has any defense on this. Now, they're not the only ones who have been in this situation. In April 2010, it was reported that Illinois Attorney General Lisa Madigan launched an antitrust investigation into Lollapalooza, of course, Lollapalooza being uh, Chicago's longtime running city festival there and one of the oldest music festivals around. And it was alleged that the festival had imposed radius clauses on performers that were so strict that some acts were barred from performing within 300 miles of Chicago, including cities as far as Detroit, Indianapolis and Milwaukee, but that's 300 miles. We're in Coachella's case, it's 1,000 miles, just to put it in perspective. And then locally, Shanae, in June 2014, the Toronto Festival, North by Northeast, announced that it would drop a 45-day clause it had implemented for its 2014 edition following protests by fans and artists, including a change.org petition with over 3,000 signatures. And the particular emphasis was on its effects on emerging artists, like we just talked about. Now, in this case, North by Northeast marked the first time that the event was held just weeks after the Canadian Music Festival. And so it was thought that they were implementing this radius clause to protect them because now the, the, two, the two musical events were, were closer than they had been before. Now, there's other instances of these radius clauses, but in all situations, I think what it comes down to is you have to protect the young up and coming musical talent and you have to allow for this money from fans to trickle into the economy across the entire areas where these musical acts can play and power and money grabbing by large corporate owned festivals is no bueno. I think you're right. I think it uh, specifically affects emerging artists or smaller artists, because in reality, if you picked a big name like Beyonce and you're like, hey, you're not going to get to play anywhere else for the next 30 days in Los Angeles, they would laugh at you because they're in a higher position of power. If you want their fans to come to your event, you're doing everything you can to get that artist to play. So I think that this radius clause really doesn't affect the biggest names. It affects everyone in the tiers below and it affects them differently depending on on how much they're allowed to push back or not. Yeah, absolutely. Let everybody have a, a piece of the pie. 
Carlo Luis Ruben Schneck, a promoter from the clubbing capital in the world, Berlin, created this virtual nightclub called Club Quarantine. This virtual venue features a 360-degree video dance floor, and they play techno beats, and they have heavy laser-based visuals. So this club has hosted three parties so far, and has had about 700,000 visitors. And just like the exclusive club scene that it's based on, people were turned away at the door. They have this interactive element to their platform where they're really trying to give you the experience of going out to a nightclub. So you get there, there's a lineup before you get in. They have a virtual bouncer who asks you a question and they either allow your entry or they reject it. So Carlos had made a statement saying that the selection is random. It's just a cheeky play on that nightclub experience. There's an interactive way for attendees to influence the visuals. The bathrooms are used as small chat rooms for attendees. There's so much to do there that's really as close as you can get to going to a nightclub without leaving your house. I absolutely love this club quarantine. I mean, great name. They've taken lessons for the video gaming world and they reconstructed a club online. Interestingly enough, they're not really associated with any existing club. And two thirds of Berlin's 140 clubs are now facing acute threat of closure, according to a report by Club Commission, a trade organization. So whether this is something that is just going to fill the gap until COVID is over. Uh, We don't know. But Schneck goes on to say it should not replace live music, but it should be a serious way of sharing your musical art. And there was this uh, Dania Adib, a 24-year-old woman from Red Shores, California, who tuned in to the club quarantine and listened to it from her bedroom in the Bay Area. And she said that, uh, you know, she used to frequent the San Francisco electronic music scene. And since all of those things were not an option anymore, she was looking online for something found Club Quarantine, enjoyed the humor of them trying to ask her questions for for entry. (laughs) And, you know, and then she was quoted as saying, I closed my eyes for a second. I felt like I was back in the club. Of course, she was playing it over her good sound system that she has in her apartment. And, you know, I was talking last week about paying $23 to have Tomorrowland's virtual festival playing at a warehouse with 50 of my best friends with a great sound system and a projection of the visuals on a wall. And I mean, this is a very similar potential interpretation of this where people can have house parties where they're practicing creating a bubble with their social circle and everyone there is known and they can contact trace and whatever other precautions they can take and you can have a very fun time without going into the club and and potentially becoming a super spreader so the interesting thing here is i think the technology because this is just another example of the evolution of this digital space And I don't think it's ever going to fully... I mean, people want to go out. People want to go to the club for relationship uh, reasons and intimacy reasons. Nothing's ever going to replace that. Um, However, in order to get a bit of a fill until those things start coming back into reality, I think this is perfect. I agree. And I actually also think that they're now capturing a new audience because the more introverted people now they get the opportunity to experience this kind of clubbing nightlife feel. And so it's similar to like the gamer community, like you have this community that's all virtual. So it opens up doors to new clientele that they didn't necessarily have before. Next up is Burning Man Internet Radio, the on-air in the multiverse. BMIR has been around for a while. That is their radio station. And reading here from the Burning Man 
Command Journal. It states that BMIR has historically been a radio station that adheres to the idea of the temporary autonomous zone. We believe that due to the current state of the world's affairs, it is of utmost importance to utilize our voice to facilitate dialogue and thought-provoking content for the sake of pushing social change. And of course, they're talking about Black Lives Matter here. They go on, we will be launching 72 hours of live programming beginning at 12 noon on Friday, September 4th. We will be focusing on the pressing issues at hand in our world, from Black Lives Matter to LGBTQ civil liberties to the plight and future of the indigenous peoples of this land. We desire to use our trusted medium to give a voice to those that need to be amplified at this paramount intersection of space and time. Topics to be addressed include, but are not limited to, the alternative history of America, reparations, POC in the workforce, removing symbols of hate, racism as generational abuse, police brutality, laws and sexuality, race and the media, being black at Burning Man, white privilege, the history of black music in America, and what we can do collectively to create a better future together. I mean, again, front line on the culture of music festivals is Burning Man. Yeah, definitely. I think that it's great that they're vocalizing their need to amplify voices of the Black community, Indigenous community, people of color. So it'll be great to see what they impose in the future to now call to action what they've said that they want to um, provide people with. Yeah, absolutely. Then they have this call to participation to any Black, Brown, Indigenous and people of color it could be burners, but it could be people outside of the Burning Man if they happen to hear about this, because, you know, whoever turns into this radio station might be already in the community. So it's an audible project uh, with an upper time limit of five minutes. And essentially, you are reading a letter to the community and speaking about uh, anything you want to, essentially. And then they will weave it into a single production and played on air uh, with no interruption. I think this is great. I'm really interested in getting through some of that content. 72 hours sounds like a lot, but I will definitely try to get a little bit under my belt for that. I will say one more thing here. There is a quote that says, there is no default world unless we default. BMIR is taking a stand as the voice of the man to stop our default and build a more inclusive burner community, raising up the voices of those who have been silenced and empowering the burner community to destroy complacency with fierce action. Yeah, I think what's beautiful about what Burning Man's stance is right now, you mentioned they're not voicing their opinion. They are by by including this initiative in their platform, but they're not being the ones to talk for oppressed people. They're saying, we want you to talk for yourselves, but we want to give you the platform to do it. Yeah. Brilliant move. Absolutely brilliant move. Not surprised. The Burning Man community and the brain trust that runs them is spot on once again. A new initiative has been launched to create opportunities for deaf and disabled people within the live music industry. The not-for-profit organization Attitude is Everything partners with the National Lottery Community Fund to spearhead Beyond the Music, a program that seeks to gain representation for those who wish to work in the industry and have historically been underrepresented. This three-year program will provide the necessary tools for building skills, experience, support, and contacts required to work or volunteer in the music industry. They also offer training resources and guidance for music businesses to better equip themselves for inclusivity within the working environment. Yeah, you know, you've talked a lot about this and we're going to have a deep dive on it in, in our deep dive series, uh, the bi-monthly program. You know, I, look, festivals and just the general entertainment industry and the music industry can't 
have a stance that deaf and disabled people cannot be a part of their sector and industry. But clearly, that is something that they need to extend a support mechanism to. And this is a great step in that direction. I Definitely. Okay, next up, we need to talk about plague raves. Oh, dear. So France joins a list of countries that are experiencing illegal raves. We talked last week about them happening in the UK. There are reports of them happening in Germany. And of course, there are reports of them happening all over the United States of America. So far, I haven't heard of any in Canada, but uh, perhaps it's just that we haven't heard about them. Now, the location of the illegal rave in France was inside the Lozier region. The partygoers reached about a thousand people before being shut down by police. There was no social distancing or safety measures. There were small children in attendance. The local farmers had called in angry reports. They mentioned damage to their property and uh, vehicles had driven all over their land and chewed up the sod. And authorities, when they showed up, realized that they couldn't just send people away. People had been drinking. They were obviously on drugs, apparently, or at least some of them were. And so when authorities deemed that it was unsafe to scatter them, they set up testing facilities, handed out water, face masks, hand sanitizer, and they tried to take care of the situation and prepare people to be let out properly in a safe manner. So kudos to the authorities there in France who took it upon themselves to act responsibly now, back in the U.S., there are reports of 1,500 people attending the Litnik 20 rave. The majority of the people there were not wearing masks. They partied into the early hours of Monday, August 10th. And following the event, the park was reportedly left in shambles. CBS New York called it a wasteland. The spokesman for the park department said illegal gatherings like the one held last night present significant challenges for safety. One of the event's hosts, Kyle Rhodes, told the New York Post that the party was organized to give back to the people and provide a safe place for young adults to gather and socialize. Now, a flyer shared via Twitter it was written on the flyer, they can't stop us, which shows what kind of attitude this gentleman, Kyle Rhodes, was trying to foment when he advertised his event. Now, there's more reports uh, that police seized a boat operating as a floating nightclub before arresting its owners for violating the city's social distancing provisions and a ban on large gatherings. There was also a unlicensed rave under Brooklyn's Kosciusko Bridge, now, the worst one, I think, because this one had DJs such as the Chainsmokers, uh, was at an event in July. This is going back a little bit. This event in the Hamptons called Safe and Sound was actually promoted as a legitimate festival event. Now, on the Safe and Sound Festival website, they were showing renderings of how this would look. And as we mentioned in our UK spot last week of the socially distanced festival, having those pods, the rendering showed car, basically a drive-in, but you could park your car in this box on this football field. You know, it was chalked out and then you could set up a table right beside it with some chairs and that was your designated spot for the event. But there are Twitter videos that were posted from the stage while the Chainsmokers were playing, which clearly showed that there was no observance of these chalk marked lines. I mean, everyone was just basically amassing at the front of the stage. You know, there's this idea 
of entitlement. And some of these illegal raves are thrown a little bit haphazardly. It's people being maverick, roguish. But this was well organized. It had the chain smokers who were headlining it. It was called a drive-in fundraiser experience in the Hamptons. It was part of the Safe and Sound concert series, which had a partnership with Bumble, the dating app, and also advertised that it would be happening in other cities, Miami, LA, Atlanta, Nashville, Chicago. So it was going to go on a bit of a tour. And this was its first installment. We will be following it just to keep you guys updated. But this certainly did not bode well for the success of this event. Yeah. So to touch base on the illegal raves, I think that, you know, worldwide, this is happening. This is not something that's specific to one country or one city. It's happening everywhere. And it's because I think that the government body is like underestimated people's need of an outlet. And many people who listen to music going to music events is their outlet. So can it be done in a safe way? Yes. But the government bodies really need to step up and say, okay, here's what we can do and here's how we can do it. Because just saying, no, you're not allowed to have parties. No, you can't go to events. People, you know, are are doing it the wrong way and they're going to do it the renegade way and, and not get permission and not have harm reduction and not have safety components to their event because they are not allowed. Yeah, I agree with you. There was a quote here by Berlin-based DJ Elias told Reuters news agency, I think people are just longing uh, to socially connect. But then on the other hand, there's a clear anti-plague rave sentiment online from those who fear that infection rates will increase and that it will cause harm to the industry. And they're putting this a little bit onto the apparent selfishness of the high earning DJs, which have been playing at some of these events, um, including the one in the Hamptons. And it's contentious because the people who earn a substantial amount of money for their appearances aren't really, and we're talking about the food chain of high grossing DJs, they're the least likely to actually need the money. I mean, they've got bank accounts, I'm sure, that are filled. I mean, unless they have incredibly high expenses and they're burning through their cash, then they're probably going to be okay. So it's almost like the richest 1% of the DJs are now directly affecting the livelihoods of the 99% of smaller DJs who will be unable to return to work because their countries are cracking down even further or just eliminating events and just going draconian, no clubs, no musical gatherings, no, I mean, even these drive-ins that are getting ruined by these supposedly organized well-to-do companies are now going to be frowned upon because officials that are interested in protecting their populace will see the scam that they're perpetrating or the lack of adherence to the regulations and might just drop the hammer on all of these events and revoke all the permits. So if things don't proceed properly in an organized fashion and the responsibility isn't being directly placed not only on the event producers, but also on the DJs who have power to say, no, we're not going to support your festival here because there's a pandemic happening. (laughs) Whether you believe in it or not is not the point. Point is, there's enough evidence to show that people at risk could lose their lives. And we're all in this together, especially when we're talking about music and unity and you know festivals and the whole idea and the ethos behind all of this stuff and the desire to connect and be social and all this kind of stuff. Well, if you know that you went to a festival, you gave someone COVID-19, they went home and their mom died because she contracted it. Now you're in the chain of events that you could have prevented there just by being a little bit more responsible. I think people need to look at it like that. And I think the top 1% of DJs 
shouldn't feel the need to go out and earn. I think they've probably earned enough to support their lifestyles. What do you think, Shanae? I think that people don't realize that when festival or the media says, oh, the chain spokers, let's say, I don't know how much they made. So I'm just giving an example, got paid $100,000 to do this event. That $100,000 is not just theirs. It gets split up to their booking agent, their talent manager, their their tech crew, their audio crew, anybody who they work with, it gets split up between that. Yeah, there's a difference when, you know, somebody's making a million dollars at an event. But I think right now that's not necessarily the case. From at least what I've seen, it's still fairly small DJs that are going out and trying to stay relevant. But I think that they should look and decide what do they stand for? Because you're right, if they're going to these events and they have no regard for social distance measures and they are like, oh, get out of your cars, guys, let's jump around or whatever they do to hype up the crowd. If they're not doing it in the way that the government has asked of them, they probably just shouldn't do it. That being said, I did go to a drive-in event this past weekend and while they had their media crew walking around, when their media crew would get to certain groups, they'd get them to like get out of their car and dance around. But aside from that, everybody had to stay in their cars. So they were implementing pretty strict social distance measures. Like at one point I was told my foot wasn't allowed to touch the ground because then I was no longer contained in my car. But the way that that event's media is going to represent the event is not going to look like that. They're not going to show you people weren't allowed to do that because they want to hype you up to come to their next event. So I think that we just also have to be careful with what we believe in when we see pictures. We just have to dig a little deeper than the than the surface. Totally agree. At the end of the day, we definitely have to keep the economies moving forward. People do want to get out and we need to allow them to attend events that are safe and well organized. But it is on the shoulders of these events to be properly responsible in executing their game plan. And when you look at these renderings, Shanae, they had a great game plan somewhere, somehow, something went wrong and they should do an audit well thanks everyone for joining us on another week's festival grasp make sure to subscribe on apple or google Podcasts, spotify or via your chosen podcast collector so you'll never miss us talking into your ears again and while you're at it if you find value in what we are discussing rate us on apple podcasts it's like telling a friend about it but better and it gives us a chance in that big old world out there i know we're just getting to know each other but come on show us some love we're here for you you're here for us so let's do this thing to sign up as an expert guest on the show to leave us a question or message or to jar tip your support, follow the appropriate links in the show notes. Be sure to keep tuning in weekly for our music festival newscast and subscribe to Deep Dives, our bi-monthly in-depth topical discussion show with interviews and guests that will bring you insight and knowledge. Link in the show notes. This podcast edited by GBA Recordings. For me, Mario. And Shanae. See you next time. Bye. 